I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. It's a breakneck Monday morning, and I can take it slow. Pour cream into my coffee, fresh from off the stove. I replay my favorite saddest song to remember how it goes. Or pick up where I left off with last night's you're interested, I could tell you more of a benefit of being alone. Each day I work a little bit and plans of my own. I book flights to places I have always wanted to go. Listening to records, monophonic stereo. Crawling Check for unread messages on my phone If you're curious, I could give you a guided tour Of the benefits of being alone If I don't end up with anyone Could be six days to find my body gone But think of all the space I get to roam Don't you worry about me Taken from her new album, Bravado, that is the music of my guest today on the program, Rose Cousins. Let me tell you a little bit about Rose Cousins. All right, before we begin, I thought we would do it this way. We'll do the biographical stuff first, then the emotional stuff second. Is that fair? All right, we'll do it that way. Uh, All right, so Rose Cousins. The Canadian-born singer-songwriter Rose Cousins is a musician of remarkable depth and sensitivity. After a series of fabulous EPs, she released her debut album, If You Were For Me, in 2006. Just six years later, she had won a Juno Award, and six years after that, well, she was nominated for a Grammy for her 2017 record, Natural Conclusion. Now, I'm not trying to break her career down into six-year periods. That would be weird. I'm just saying that her evolution as an artist is progressive and decidedly winning. So, dispensing with the whole six-year thing, here are some highlights of Rose Cousins' career. She's toured with Ron Sexsmith, Patty Griffin, and Mary Chapin Carpenter. Her songs have appeared on TV shows like Grey's Anatomy and Nashville. And she's put out four remarkable records with a fifth on the way called Bravado, which is due out in February. Produced by Cousins herself, Bravado is punctuated by poetic precision soulful phrasing, and tremendous heart. I know it's too early to say things like this, but in my opinion, Bravado is already one of 2020's very best. All right, so there's the biographical stuff. Now here comes the emotional stuff. Don't worry, it's not that emotional, but I had a little moment, and it was uh, two Rose Cousins music, and I wanted to share it with you. All right, so I was sitting on my deck here in California, and I was listening to Bravado, and I was just kind of taking it all in having a very quiet moment with Rose Cousins' new one. I was pretty far into the album. I think I was on, like, track eight, which I believe is a song called The Swimmer. Uh, Check on that for me, but I'm almost sure of it. Anyway, I'm kicking back, I'm making notes, and I'm listening to the album, and I look up because I feel like someone's watching me. And somebody is. It's a hummingbird. 
Now, I'm sure you've seen a hummingbird before, and I'm sure you're aware that they move their wings like propellers. Those guys are frenetic. They never stop going. Anyway, this hummingbird stopped. He was sitting on the fence, staring at me, listening to Rose Cousins, I think. Or he wasn't staring at me. He was just listening to Rose Cousins himself. Anyway, he hung out there for a little while, and then he left. And I thought, that was pretty cool. I love hummingbirds. Always fun to see one. Always fun to see one standing still for a second. And uh, that was that. All right, so then I'm on track nine, which is a song called The Lullaby. And I'm sitting there, and I feel another pair of eyes on me. Or more than one pair of eyes on me. And I look up, and there's my hummingbird sitting on the fence. And next to him is a friend. He brought a friend back to hear Rose Cousins. And they're both just kind of sitting there, not flapping their wings, just taking in the music. Then, of course, after a little while, not very long, they both bolted. And that was that. They both flew away. I finished listening to the album. I went inside, and, uh, and I didn't think about it again. But then, last night, I was writing about the album, and I thought, how best to describe Rose Cousins' music? Well, at first, I was going to say, Rose Cousins' music is so beautiful, it can stop a hummingbird's wings from beating. But then I thought about what I saw, and I'm going to go one step further. Rose Cousins' music is so beautiful, it can make a hummingbird invite a friend along so they can stop beating their wings together. Enjoy my conversation with Rose Cousins. And by the way, that means you, all my hummingbird listeners. (laughs) Here's my chat with Rose Cousins. Enjoy it right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. I like, I think I, I, as there's people kind of like the introvert extrovert thing is a real thing where like, maybe you're like me in the sense that I can only fill up, like fill my tank back up when I'm by myself. Um, Whereas other people get energy from being around other people. And those, those things, and there's obviously a spectrum on which that lives, but those things are very real. Like to have to kind of like, retreat and be quiet and fill up that's the way that I do it where I have I have lots of friends who are like I got to go out and like meet up with some people and get energized so I I am great with being alone I spend a lot of time alone um but I think you're right in the sense of just like especially kind of when I'm not doing super well I tend to isolate even more and those are the moments where I'm just like I really need to like reach out to a friend and tell them that I'm not doing well and maybe like lean in somewhere um, yeah, so I think I'm good with being alone. I like it. I like my own company. I like the richness of that space. I like to be able to move at my own pace and think about whatever I'm thinking about. Um, but, um, yeah, like you're right in, somewhere in there lies a balance. When you're with people who are taking your energy, people who are sort of feeding, are you aware of that or are you not aware of it until later? I'm, I'm deeply aware of it. Yeah, I'm deeply aware of of uh, of the energy suck if that happens to be it. I mean, I think it's like knowing knowing limits. I think you just kind of like as you go through the world. This is interesting too because as a performer, <clears throat> there's an expenditure on stage during a show. It can also be you can also if the audience is 
a great one that night. You can also be getting energy from that, which alleviates some of the energy expenditure. And then, you know, talking to people at the end of a show is probably the most energy expenditure because, you know, there's more listening involved and like, and you want, like, I want to be as present as I can, but it's probably my tank is already kind of low a bit. So, um, you know, I also get filled up with like, you know, my, my best friend is lives here in Colorado and she's come up to hang out with me and I'm absolutely filled by our conversations and I'm filled by the time that we are spending together, you know? So when I feel like I'm with someone that that's easy to talk to and that there's no small talk involved, I'm fine. If there's small talk involved, I sometimes walk away. <laughs> my energy expenditure is everything leading up to the show and then the show and then the after the show. Whereas like people who have kids are like this just nonstop in a different way. You know, like the tank is, is, um, there's, there's so many things that are, that are happening in the lead up to it that like puts you in a position where when I arrive at the, at the stage part, like I, I could have varying amounts of energy in the tank at that point, which, you know, I don't know, being alive is hard. <laughs> yeah, right. But it's also, <laughs> It's also like <clears throat> I think the hardest I think the hardest part is and that's maybe the thing that takes the longest is to understand and recognize your own limits. And I'm still on that journey, absolutely. Like I definitely have learned a lot in the last ten years of doing this job full time. And you know, you learn it by hitting walls and being like, Okay. I'm not doing well right now. I need to like fill my tank in some other way. I'm still chasing that. I think I'm a workaholic, so it's tough. Being alive is hard. And and I ask for selfish reasons. I, I teach university and if I do a lecture, you know, when I'm done, I go, okay, well that that's done. And then if a student yeah. comes to my office, I have to be that guy again. And I, I have oh, yeah. not figured out in like 20 years, Rose, how to be that guy again one-on-one. Yeah, I think I think it's like it it turns into be like cause when you're doing your lecture or when I'm doing my show, it's a it's a mostly a one way delivery system. Right. Exactly. And then one on one, the intimacy of one on one, um, can feel like terrifying. But I think it then I think if we switch over into like listening mode, to see what the person actually needs. You know, this is the thing that I think that I've learned, kind of like, because sometimes people just want an opportunity to say something. Maybe they need a piece of feedback that isn't so specific that you need to solve a problem for them, but they just need to be heard kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But I understand what you're saying. It's um, the, the difference between speaking to a large group and then the intimacy and responsibility of a one on one is it's definitely intense. It is. And it's sort of like if you, if I run into one of my students <laughs> in the store, I'm like, right. oh, do I have to be the okay. professor guy now? Or can I just be a, a, a aging punk? Like, I don't know how to find that balance. It's very hard. So if you run into one of your fans at a non-show thing, yeah. they see, you know, at the pet store and they go, hey, Rose Cousins. <laughs> and you're like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think for me, I think for me, there isn't, but there's not actually that much distance between who I am in a pet store and who I am on stage. Like, I think that's something that 
I like to consider that I'm just the person that happens to be on stage and that, that part, that's part of my job. Like my job today is be the, be the person that's on stage, but like, I don't really want there to be that much human distance between the fact that I'm just a human who happens to be the one on stage versus the humans that are filling the audience. And so, yeah. And, and, and both of those people are, are private and, you know, protective of my, of my personal information, but I also do really want to um, connect and appear available, even though we kind of have to, you know, be available up to our limits kind of thing. Like I want, I want people to feel like they can connect. You know, I want them to say hi in a pet store. It's fine. Like, right. it's, I'm just a person who also happens to be in a pet store. <laughs> you know, I like puppies. <laughs> By the way, I love how in this scenario, we put you in a pet store with very little resistance. Yeah. Lo- yeah. I mean, I probably wouldn't. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't know that. I've, I don't even know if I've ever been into a pet store. Maybe, maybe <laughs> once. But I do like dogs. So. Um. <laughs> So how do you how do you protect yourself in terms of nurturing the things that you need to nurture uh, for you artistically? Um, obviously, there's the public you and the private you. But when you comport yourself into a creative space, does that feel mm-hmm. like all the protection you need? I feel like a creative space does have to do with the physical space that I'm in. But but I'm that is so fluid. A lot of the time, there are a few times. Um, I deliberately put myself in a in a geographical location for the purpose of trying to be still, and those times are very protected. Um, but also, the creativity is is also in motion. And when I'm not still, I consider that I'm gathering. And I was just thinking about this last year of just making this record and not really knowing that I was going to make a record. And putting myself in a creative space to kind of like test out a couple songs in the studio and test out this group of musicians that I wanted to to try out, and then being like, ah, oh, that's that's great. I want I want to do that again and put in setting up that scenario for it to happen again. That creative space is a beautiful thing and fills my tank in that way. And I think this is interesting because this is a conversation that's happening right now, whether it's you know among my peers is how do we take better care of ourselves? How do we make sure that we're making space, whether it's creative space or whether it's just self-nurturing? Um, I feel like, I don't know whether it's like that for you, but that I think it's just where we are in the world and like how pulled into our phones we are and how easy it is to lose ourselves and time in things that are just useless information. It's Maybe it's interesting information, but it's, um, is it actually feeding us or filling us or is it just taking us away from being present? Um, and I think that's the chase I'm on right now. I'm I'm reading a book right now by Ryan Holiday called Stillness is the Key because I'm still trying to figure out how to give myself permission to give myself the creative space, even though it's my job seemingly, and to and to self-nurture. Whether it's like, no, you can actually have a bath like other people have baths you could you could have a bath you could do that you could go for a walk right now that's fine um but a lot of it's just kind of like the psychic pain around what we feel like we deserve or what we feel like we should be doing whether it's false obligations or not has stillness been something you've been struggling to 
attain all these years or or have you been pretty good at that kind of emotional stillness no no i'm i absolutely am still chasing it i do think i'm i do think i choose work first i know i do and so giving myself permission to you know literally simply go for a walk or like drive like i live in nova scotia canada and it's like you know, 25 minutes, 30 minutes to get to the beach, There's, which is nothing. If you think about, I would sit and stare at my phone for 30 minutes, but I could be driving to the beach and going for a walk on the beach, which ultimately always makes me feel better. Um, yeah, there's this, there's this, the, 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 the convincing myself of the fact that like, if I don't get this work done, the work's not going to get done, except I'm the only one that's deciding whether it matters or not. So I, I'm still chasing it. I'm, I'm definitely, I'm more of a work brain than, than a like, I should relax now. Right. Right. Well, because, you know, if you're an accountant, you leave the work mm. at the office when you are oh my God, brilliant. Right. Right. Yeah. But when you're creative, you, the work mm. is always with you. It never, it never leaves you. And so you're walking on the, you know, by the, by the ocean. And maybe that's also, you start thinking about creating a song or a lyric or whatever totally. that might be. Absolutely. So you really, you know? Yep. Exactly. Which is a, a blessing and, and and a curse at the same time. Yeah, I call it a plight. It's like, it's such <laughs> a privilege to be someone who, um, you know, I feel very thankful um, that my brain wants to turn things into writing and then, then into music. I, I feel really thankful about that. But it is like, you know, in talking to other creatives, it's like, it is a plight. It's kind of like, it doesn't, it doesn't leave you alone. Um and that it, it's absolutely a blessing and a curse. It's like, I probably have followed through on more ideas than I ever have this year. Like I'd had the idea and I'd be like, oh, that's a good idea. And then I do it, you know, whether it's a song or whether it's a video idea. Um, it's very satisfying, but it's that satisfaction that we're constantly chasing and we're constantly trying to improve on. So I just call it, a, you know, it's a plight. And I guess I kind of accept that that's, what it is. And sometimes I'm absolutely um, pummeled by it. You know, sometimes I just want it to, to sit down and let me have a bath. You've accepted the sort of um, the terms of an artist are that you, you're agreeing to do a trick that you can never really master because right. In other words, you might write a brilliant song and you've written many mm -hmm. brilliant songs. Um, Thank you. But then when, after you write the brilliant song, you think, I got to write the next brilliant song. Like you never, you never stop the clock and say, you know, I'm done. I'm good. It, it, it keeps going. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Have a good day, Rose. <laughs> yep. And bye. This quiet is full. This quiet is loud. I'm sorting through what's left. And I found freedom from what could have been And freedom from the love that you give freedom Well, I pride myself in letting go I'm better off 
right from the start And I would have freedom from this broken heart And every breath is marking time And the distance from when you were mine For this freedom I mean, that is exactly what it is to be an artist in the sense that, you know, the creative process is one that is continuous, which I think is awesome because it's limitless. Yeah. And the crazy thing is, is that like, you're kind of, you're just in this bubble by yourself. So all the things that you are feeling like need to be done are are like, no one is deciding that no one is deciding what matters and what's important. It's that we're just being pulled to do and say and share and, you know, deliver these messages. And, and I think in the end, it's kind of like humans want to connect with other humans, even when they find it hard to connect with other humans. And so this is, you know, music is the way that I connect with my own emotions and kind of how I figure out how I feel at any one time. And is the thing that connects me to other people, even though it's not like it's connecting me really closely, but it's like, performing a show in a room is creating a connection and it's a connection between me and the audience. It's a connection about like whatever I'm singing about and the empathy and, and, or also compassion or sympathy that's in the room. Maybe people are connecting with each other. Maybe they're just connecting with themselves because they put themselves in this room for an hour and a half. But that connection I think is the thing that spurs, you know, is, is like a deep root. I think, I think my job, the job part of it, and the thing that is the best part that comes out is it being an instigator of connection, which humans need, and which yeah. is for some humans, especially introverts, very hard. Yeah, it, and sometimes it feels impossible. Um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you, you've alluded to taking a bath several times. Is that a metaphor for you being able to sort of just take time for yourself and, and shut the world out? Yeah, I still have a hard time, um, like, it'd be like, well, I, it's like, if I'm going to watch an episode of something, I need to be, like, sorting receipts. Or if I'm in the bath, sometimes I'll watch an episode. It's like I'm doing two things at once, or I'm, like, reading a book, so I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm getting this book read. <laughs> it's hard to, it's hard <laughs> to, like, move move the idea of not, like, of accomplishing something out of the picture entirely, like, to just watch an episode or to just have a bath and, like, stare at a candle. Um, yeah, because it's hard for the brain to, to, uh, it's, it, I mean, it's probably just like, it's just kind of how I grew up. Like I grew up on a very busy working farm and there was, you know, very little idle time 
so I feel guilty about idle time. But um, yeah, the the bath is the metaphor for like you need to take a bath. You need to just be quiet and put yourself in the bath. Because it's also a self-nurturing thing. It's a quiet thing. It's a self-care. It's the thing. It is the ingredient that I need more out of my life for sure. If you grew up on a farm in Prince Edward Island, were you, are you someone who grow, who gets up very early? Is that sort of a thing that's ingrained in you, or no, no? I'm a, I would sleep and I want to sleep until I'm done. I'm not an early <laughs> riser at all. <laughs> no, I'm a night owl. I would rather stay up, um, kind of like, and, and yeah, and then sleep until I'm done. That's that's if I like I don't sleep well if I have to put on an alarm, which is all the time, all the time, of course. My my brother and I are kind of into like analyzing our sleep right now, and he's we've been talking about this thing called chronotypes, which distinguishes people into what kind of um, like sleeper and waker they are. So there's there's four main types, and it just basically it basically just like speaks to the different circadian rhythms that different people have. It's it's basically saying like yes there are morning people and yes there are nighttime people, and like where your productivity is. But mine is definitely like I get my best work done late at night when everyone else is like when the world has shut down and that false obligation has gone away. And then I love to just be able to sleep until I'm done. How does humor fit into your process and how do you because a lot of your work is very um, introspective and vulnerable and serious. But how do you but yet you have a great sense of humor. How do you balance Mm -hmm. the two? I don't know. I don't, I don't think about balancing the two. I think, um, uh, you know, humor has been a part of my life. My dad is, is pretty silly. So I have, I have it as part of who I am, but also I, I, I do distinctly remember calling on it heavily in high school because I mean, high school is such a horrible, awkward place. And also, and humor was this like humor for me does, it gets you a couple levels deeper quicker so I don't have to go through the small talk thing, which is just devastating. And also it's a very protective thing. It's like a defense mechanism. And it also relaxes people quickly. So I think for me, it it, it serves as all those things, you know, taking the piss out of yourself or like something that's true to life that is like is devastating, but also true. And there's so makes it funny. Like that's the best comedy, right? When we're just, making fun of the truth, which is also devastating. Um, I think it's just inherent that like, if you can laugh, if you you can find a way to laugh and, you know, even if it's just being like, well, anyways, here's another, uh, you know, feel good hit of the summer. And then I play a really sad song. It's just kind of (laughs) like, I'm just calling out the thing that's actually true using humor um, because it does a thing. I don't know. I think, I think it does a, a, a uniting relaxing thing I mean that's what that's probably the biggest way that I that I use it and I also just I, I just really like intelligent humor what are your sources of humor more the ones that you identified as being kind of of your um you know the sense of your sensibility like growing up what made you laugh um that's a good question I don't know my like my dad is really silly like he has his own vernacular for um for just every everyday life, you know, he 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 makes he made things silly, you know, where he's like, if there was if he if you asked you if you if you wanted to, a pair to eat, he'd be like, do you want a single? 
like he, he just, you know, he's like, what time, what, he, you know, like a watch, he'd be like, what time is it on your look? What time does your look say as opposed to watch? Like he has a million of those. And um, he just, he just was, he just kind of like, he has like, you know, sings a silly song about the dog. And he just had that lightness um, to him, even though he was, he's also, and still to this day, a workaholic and a deep, a deep introvert. Um, but he had this, this, I think I, I definitely understood the silliness um, in that way. Um, and his mother, my grandma had, had some lightness that way about it too. Um, so he made me laugh a lot when I was a kid. It's interesting to think about like what did make me laugh when I was a kid. I think just that, I think just like allowing there to be silliness. Um, it's like, it's like the extra parts. It's like, that's a, an important part. I think of, of who I am, like being like a dingbat, you know, it's, it's like exercises vulnerability in a different way, maybe. Those yeah. are the people that read, like, if, if I can exchange humor with someone right away, it's a way that I'm then, like, I'm like, okay, cool. Like, we are going to get each other. And in a, in a way where, like, small talk makes me want to peel my skin off. Right, right. Well, yeah. and also, you know, reading your lyrics, your father also, humor is one thing, but he also seemed to teach you the elasticity of language. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if my dad talked taught me about language. I think um, I've always loved, you know, poetry, and I've always been a really deep thinker. Um, so, yeah, I don't. I don't know if that came from my father necessarily, but I am deeply thankful that he, um, you know, gives me humor and the ability to be a really hard worker and to understand what it feels like to earn and um, accomplish things, which of course gets pulled into the, to the plight, the blessing and the curse. Right. Do you think that people perceive you as being more serious than you are because of your work? I, I don't know. I don't think it's my job to, to be concerned about how people perceive me. I think, um, I, I don't know. I think I think if anyone, I mean, in this world of like the social stuff, like the things that I put out uh, in the world, I I I would hope and maybe suspect that people don't think that I'm too serious. Um, I try and be a little bit more buoyant in the world and and um, you know just like a, an authentic human being in my messaging, like I'm not trying to be, I think I, that that would be the thing that would cripple me where I'm not, I don't, I couldn't live up to being something more than I actually am, mm. you know? So I just kind of try and be, yeah. I, I don't think I could handle it, but the disparity between too, too much distance between like, you know, trying to be something that I can't live up to, like whether it's on stage or in conversation, I like to have really genuine actual truthful conversations and then maybe that way I'm serious but I think because it's so peppered with humor that I would hope I would hope that it would feel somewhat balanced what happens when you are in a situation where you find uh-oh this is veering towards small talk do you start to get kind of panicky like I gotta get out of this conversation absolutely yeah I mean I I definitely <laughs> I definitely have walked away from some like if it's really bad um or even just bad humor. I'm just like, I gotta go. Or, you know, just someone who doesn't really have a good sense of themselves. And, you know, I'll just like feign raging diarrhea and walk away. 
<laughs> then everybody feels awkward. Yeah, and then I'm just like, but I'm out, right? I'm gone. Right. Yeah, you can live. You can live with the awkwardness as long as you're out. Yeah, I've actually never done that, but I think about that as an out all the time. I want you to, or say, I gotta go to the pet store. Um, yeah, I'm actually got a date at the pet store. I gotta, I gotta get a puppy. Like coming up with some ridiculous excuse. Yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> I, uh, I definitely have like, if I'm standing in a group and like someone's about to launch into a story, and I see it coming. I'm like, I gotta go. I'll be just like, you know what? I gotta go. Or it's actually, I've, I've actually gotten better at like, at at um being in situations where like someone's about to launch in, and I'm like, you know what? I want to hear what you have to say, but I don't have time to hear it right now. So I'm gonna walk away. And just like, it's actually fine. Like, it's like people we get so worried about people's feelings and and that kind of thing, but it's actually totally fine if you just like distinguish what your boundary is and take care of yourself in that. I'm definitely a self-preservationist in that way. When you do like all that Enneagram stuff, um, I definitely end up in the self-preservation. We're talking a lot about, you know, being an adult. And one of the things I've noticed about myself as an adult is I've become better at saying no, because that was so hard yeah. for me up until about nine months ago. <laughs> and oh, I'm older than you. <laughs> Yeah, it's well, I mean, it's but it's this, like all this big buildup of what we think is going to happen if we say no, it's actually fine. And I think people, more people than not, would respect other people who have boundaries. Like, boundaries are really important to me. It's not like I've been 100% perfect with them all the time, but it is like I just think it is really important to say no, especially when you know that the answer is no. And the only reason you're saying yes is because you're going to feel bad or you're worried about someone else's feelings. Like, other people's feelings are not our responsibility to take care of you know it's like you have to not deliberately do something to hurt someone but you can do but you can be deliberate about protecting yourself from situations you know are going to make you miserable yeah and it makes life so much easier yeah yeah and that's okay are you a Christmassy kind of person are you excited about the holidays um I'm kind of this is interesting because it pulls in like the benefits of being alone situation like which of course is a completely juxtaposed notion um it's like I'm all the all my siblings are in my family are married and um and so I so, so it's kind of like a, I'm like a transient I'm like a I'm a holiday transient so I'll just go wherever the highest concentration of my family is at any one time but I'm still kind of you know out of a suitcase and and uh just kind of like floating around and I've been thinking I was thinking this year like I really need to come up with my own Christmas tradition my own holiday thing where on on a day or or in a span of days I make I do this one thing like what is it I don't know take myself to the spa or like go for a really long walk or like cook brunch for all my friends or some you know something that gives me a holiday anchor um but I mean Christmas used to be like epic I had five kids in my family and you know I grew up on a farm and it was and it was awesome but I think it's just it's different now because it is um yeah it's kind of like this I'm not really sure what my Christmas is you know what I mean but it's fine. It'll be fine. I'm just, I'm happy to be like my, like my family has, they have, my siblings have kids and like, obviously those, that's the priority and they're super fun to be around. And I just do it. I just use it as a fill up on family kind of time. Do you feel in Canada, do you feel a community of Canadian artists that support each other? I always, I had this sort of myth-making idea that's been cooking in my brain for the last 30 years that 
there seems to be more of a community. And I've interviewed a lot of bands from um, Nova Scotia and from, um, you know, all around that area where it seems like people really, uh, there is a confederacy. But I don't know if that's actually true. Maybe I'm making that up. Yeah, no, I can't, Canadian musicians are, are very supportive of each other um, in my experience. Um, my experience is, is grown out of the east coast of Canada, though, which is all like it's all we're a small area. We grew up in small communities. And so there's a banding together that happens automatically when you grow up in kind of a small place. So the east coast of Canada is a very close knit, um, closer knit and very supportive uh, community. Um, I had noticed that you had done a podcast with Tim Baker. Like, you know, he's, he's from Newfoundland and it's like, it's part of, it's part of the gang. And we all like, every time someone is successful at something, it's like a win for everybody. So there is this really beautiful um, East coast kind of like giving fountain that, that we, we celebrate each other and each other's success and we collaborate with with each other. And um, yeah. And I, and I feel like that exists in Canada. I feel like, you know, we're, we're, proud Canadian artists and we celebrate when each other are successful and we help each other along when we can. It's, I find it to be a very collaborative kind of beautiful thing to be a part of. I always find that uh, Joel Plaskett's name always pops up. Oh yeah. 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 He lives in Dartmouth across the water from me. I live in, in Halifax and he lives in Dartmouth and uh, yeah, he's, he's a, actually a really great example of someone who, had a really high high level of success, but you know, lives in the place that he wants to live, which is Nova Scotia, and is extremely collaborative and extremely supportive of other people. Um, he, and is just he's just like a like a, a like a raging music fan, and so he's just he's extremely creative and extremely like up for stuff. And uh, he's set, he's such a really good example for like being a proud East Coaster and a proud Canadian in the industry for sure i also like his evolution as an artist i got that sweet home record record mm-hmm. in like 1995 and he is really such a different artist now and i and i think that's a great model for a career is to keep evolving yeah he's 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 kind of un, unafraid and i and i love that like and his fans are very loyal and and up for kind of whatever he's going to do it's really cool and um as you probably know, as part of his uh, three record in 2009 and went on tour with him across Canada. And it was just like, he really is just like, he cares a lot about the show. He he thinks a lot about the audiences. Um, Yeah. He cares about his fans and he cares about putting on a really great show every night. And he's a, he's a consummate professional and, and um, like a real person. It's, It's pretty awesome. It was really fun to be a part of that. And it's fun to be, you know, have him as a friend and, and, um, collaborator. He's, 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 I don't know how to understand how much he, he has so much energy. He's so skinny. Yeah. He seems to be a real, just a linchpin, a real anchor in that scene. Yeah, totally. Which is really nice. Um, yeah. I'm so excited for your album, Rose. I, I think people are going to oh, really be you. staggered by this. Um, it, and you know what? You, you deserve a bath. <laughs> I do deserve a bath. You should have a freaking bath. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) You deserve a bath too, Alex.
I do deserve a bath. It feels good to say that out loud uh, for the first time ever in my life. Uh, I'm making progress, I think. If I can say that, then uh, I'm on my way to being a responsible adult. The next step? I don't know. Maybe uh, taking down those Stone Roses posters from my bedroom walls. Maybe that's the next step. Let's not rush it, though. Let's go slow. You can't change everything overnight. Uh, You got to go slow. You don't want to pull a muscle. RoseCousins.com is where you need to go to buy Rose's new album. I think you can pre-order it. It comes out in February. Go there now. RoseCousins.com. Get that new album of hers, Bravado. Buy it and play it for your hummingbirds. They'll appreciate it. Go to AlexGreenOnline.com. I'd appreciate that. Uh, There is some news happening uh, in my neck of the woods. After years of silence, I finally have some news. My new book is coming out, and uh, I'll be talking about it incessantly. So brace yourself for a uh, couple of months of very exhaustive and, uh, you know, self-obsessed self-promotion. <laughs> okay? Uh, all right. Follow me on Twitter, at Ember's Editor. Follow me on Instagram, Ember's Podcast. Or just email me, editor, at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that makes you feel the safest and most comfortable and subscribe for free. Tell all your friends. Tell them to tell all their friends. And if their friends are the same friends that are your friends, well, tell them to get new friends and then tell them uh, about the podcast. Okay? All right. Let's close the show with another new song from Rose's new album, Bravado. This is a track called The Fraud. Enjoy it, and I'll see you next time right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast only on Bombshell Radio. Tell me how do you make it look simple? Falling down deep into love It takes all that I have just to stand here And more not to run Your eyes are enough to convince me And make me go tearing it down Nothing I've learned about love in the past Could convince me
So do. 